Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary! She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabune, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then she told told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us, however we find ourselves this morning, whether we are racked with anxiety and fear or whether we're feeling calm, no matter how we feel in terms of being either depressed or happy or sad, you know our state of affairs right now. You see us. Help us to believe that you do see us. You know us and you love us. And that's all we really need is to be fully known and fully loved. And we have that in you. Help us to believe that today. Be with us now as we gather. 
help us to always know that you see us and move towards us always to restore, to renew, and heal. And help us to trace this to the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So I think this might be my favorite account of the resurrection, because in it we find out this crucial, life-changing truth. Are you ready? It's really deep. John could run faster than Peter. <laughs> Did you see it? In verse 4, the two were running together, but the other disciple, that would be John who's writing this, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And then just to rub it in, John reminds him again in verse 8. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and then adds this final statement, and he saw and believed. Now that's just bragging, it seems to me. Happy Easter, everyone. John is faster than Peter. Wow, and apparently has more faith. See you next week. You know, I think I learned in seminary that John was believed to be the youngest disciple and Peter the oldest, so maybe that's what's going here on here. I don't know, but thank God in this story, we have Mary of Magdala, better known as Mary Magdalene. So this is just another episode of the Duh Disciples. Mary, who sees resurrection through her tears. And I think that's really why I chose this passage. This is exactly what we need today, isn't it? To see the resurrection through our tears. And Mary comes to the tomb because the tomb is the closest at this point that she can get to Jesus. The Jesus that had called her, the Jesus that had restored her, the Jesus that had renewed her life and gave her meaning and purpose, the Jesus who took her seriously and offered her a future and a hope, and now he's gone. Imagine the state she is coming to the tomb in this morning, sleepless eyes, red and swollen from weeping. And now to add insult to injury, in one more twist of the knife, his body was gone too. So she runs to tell the others. And what do they find when they get there? Something interesting. The linen wrappings neatly lying there with a the cloth for Jesus' head rolled up in place by itself. And verse 8 claims that there was some belief, but maybe all they believed is that the body wasn't there because everyone but Mary returns to their home. Mary, our patron saint of knowing how to always show up, stays weeping. At that moment, the world's grief is concentrated in Mary's grief. Those words she said to the others, they have taken are the shout of a world crying out for justice, crying out for peace, crying out for safety, as it is right now. They have taken my home, my spouse, my dignity, my dreams, my hopes, my health, my land. They have taken. I know it's Easter, but we need an Easter with weeping this year. So let's just stand there right now with Mary and weep. She bends over to look inside, and through her tears, she sees the angels. Maybe that's the only way we can actually see angels is through our tears. She turns around, and she nearly bumps into Jesus, thinking that he's the gardener. 
This is John being ever the artist and theologian combined to make sure to include that little snippet. Because as the original drama of the Bible begins in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and on the evening before his suffering, Jesus finds high drama in a garden as he prays in agony and is betrayed by a kiss. And now Jesus has been buried in a garden. A garden is a place to cultivate and grow living things, an appropriate, appropriate place for Jesus to be buried. The first seed raised by God in the garden of resurrection became the gardener. And when Mary Magdalene supposed him to be the gardener, she was actually right. Jesus is now the gardener of resurrection, cultivating new life in all who believe. The first Adam was a gardener who failed in his task, and the world became a wasteland of violence and sin. But the second Adam will succeed in his task. Christ will restore the ruined garden. But I don't imagine Jesus could have been looking all that spiffy and impressive if she mistook him for a gardener. Maybe Jesus still had the dirt from his own tomb under his nails on, on his body. What will Jesus do to break the spell that she is under right now? You know, with my job, sometimes I get recognized around town. It doesn't happen all the time. I'm not that big a deal, but it does happen. And usually it's pretty startling. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were in Chicago for a conference. It was during the World Series that year when the Houston Astros were playing the Satan Dodgers. Wait, did I just say that? Uh, it turns out the Astros were cheating like crazy, but I digress. We were sitting at a bar rooting for the Astros because we are Giants fans, after all. And let's just say I was getting a little uh, emotional. I wasn't liking the way things were happening on the screen. I was displaying my unhappiness in, shall we say, forceful language. Um, shouting a few times, perhaps, gosh darn it, Astros. Um, and then a tap on the shoulder with those words I have heard many times that seem to come out of nowhere. Pastor Fred? And I'm thinking to myself, what? At a bar in Chicago? And then I started, of course, doing the internal, what have I just been saying and doing here at this bar? Um, checking my behavior. I turned to look at a person who was a part of our church for over 10 years. Scott White, if you're watching out there, I'm talking about you. And, uh, and I did, if I'd have seen him when I walked in, I would not have recognized his face. But when he called my name, especially attaching my vocation to it, pastor, I could go through my pastoral Rolodex and, and I recognized him. But then he, he called, but, and I was, again, thinking about my internal, internally I was thinking about my behavior, and I just said, uh, hey there, just, just telling these good folks about Jesus, that's all. Um, side note to this, it's just a true story. Five minutes later, my phone was stolen from that bar. It would be bad theology to say that God was trying to remind me of how ridiculous my behavior had been, but just saying. Jesus breaks Mary's spell with one word, her name, Mary. I love it that he says nothing else. He just calls her name and the scales fall off. She responds, Rabboni, teacher. 
And for one brief shining moment, she was the whole church, seeing the whole of the gospel. And in that turning around, we see the whole gospel. Jesus calls us and knows us by name. I like the way that Frederick Bruner put it in his commentary in the Gospel of John. He said, this is Jesus' shortest sermon in the Gospel of John, and I think his most dramatic, the vocative, Miriam, this one word, Mary's own name, spoken by the most significant person she had ever known, changed her whole life history too, moved almost perceptibly, imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D., a second before this turn, there's a woman in the deepest human despair in the agonizing presence of unconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn, there's a woman in the deepest possible human elation in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. She is the first person ever to experience the personal presence of the risen Lord. When she turned him at this moment, human history took a turn. In six short syllables, Miriam and Rabboni. So I'm going to pick up from right after that amazing quote. <laughs> what does Mary do? Mary reaches out to embrace the risen Jesus. Of course she does. She celebrates, she rejoices, she shares in the wonder. And no, Mary did not practice social distancing. She didn't have to. As a thought, as I thought about what it, that, it reminded me of how important those embraces are in our lives and how for many of you, there's no one to hug you. I'm just validating how difficult that must be. This has to be the definitive embrace of all time. Mary meets her maker, her redeemer, her empower. If you want to know what heaven feels like, this is it. Sorrow turns to dancing. Words turn to song, death turns to life. And recently, our eldest child, John Mark, who now lives and works in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, was visiting us from January 17 to February 17. The coronavirus virus was raging in China. When he was leaving, we hugged. And it was the embrace of trying to hold on to that moment, of not knowing the next time I'll feel his body smell him, hear him, at least in person, experience him. This 29-year-old man who in our minds is still the child we coddled and rocked to sleep. I wanted to keep that moment forever. Think about those times you have never wanted to, a hug to go away. By the way, he's in Vietnam. Fine, he is fine in Vietnam, not a single death in that country so far. But ponder that moment of me hugging John Mark however wonderful it is. In some ways, that hug was for me. It was about me. It was all about me. And it couldn't last forever, of course. Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me. I think maybe as a way of saying, I love you totally and have been raised to restore you to life and be with you forever but I'm also here for everyone else. I'm here to restore and renew the world, Mary. This is the beginning of the gospel, not the whole of it. 
The, this embrace is a divine embrace meant to go beyond you and me. You must announce the good news to others. And with that, Mary becomes the apostle to the apostles and is the first to announce the resurrection. If it weren't for women preachers, we would have no knowledge of the resurrection. Yep, let's say that twice. If it weren't for women preachers, we would have no knowledge of the resurrection. It's all contained in that one word, go. Just as the entire gospel is encased in that one word, Mary, so the whole of ministry and mission is in that word, go. Mary, who was powerless, pitiful, and dejected, is now purposeful, focused, and energized. Her task is to tell the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, the way of Jesus, the everlasting life God has given to Jesus. God is longing to give to the world. Now, just a couple of applications here. First, God in Jesus meets Mary in her tears. This story begins with a woman looking deep into the heart of darkness, believes all is lost and meaningless and ruined and rotten. Maybe you have felt this way in the past month or so. Perhaps it is only through tears that we can see God, can see angels. And I'm here to tell you, as I have many times, that God will meet you in your tears, in your desperation, in your lost job, in your anxiety, in your loss. And some of us here have experienced great loss in the past month. God will meet you in those questions with resurrection. In our 23 years, we have experienced and seen it more times than we can count. Secondly, God and Jesus chooses Mary in her tears. Those tears represent a deep love for Jesus that were crafted in the cultivation of a new life within her by the gardener of her soul. Those tears represent a deep humility as the recipient of God's deep mercy and forgiveness. See, once you can begin to forgive the imperfections in yourself, you can forgive them and others too. Mary had learned this from Jesus. Two thirds of his teaching talked about forgiveness. Mary had been told probably repeatedly, you Mary are God's beloved child and she believed it. Jesus spoke a new identity into Mary and can do the same for you. Jesus is calling your name as well. Death can't hold him. He's come back for you. In fact, that's maybe why you're here right now engaged in this online worship service, because God has seen to it. And then thirdly, God and Jesus reveals to Mary and to us what God is really like. Just a few days earlier on the cross, Jesus showed us a God who recycles violence and murder into love, grace, and forgiveness with those famous words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And now he tells Mary, go, go and tell my deserters. Go and tell those cowards who cut and run when I was in the midst of being crucified. Those betrayers, no. Go to my brothers, Jesus says. It's a message 
of forgiveness being delivered by someone who has experienced God's forgiveness. Go and tell my brothers. What if the most reliable way to know who God is, is to look at how God chose to reveal God's self in Jesus? Because that changes everything. If that is true, and I believe it is, the writer of the book of Hebrews certainly did when he said that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. Then what, are we deal- then what we're dealing with here is a God who is ridiculously indiscriminate about choosing friends. A God unafraid to dirty their hands for the ones that God loves. A God who rises to new life with dirt still under God's nails. This, this is the God who rises to new life and chooses a woman with a past to tell everyone else about it. Last week, we ended with a great quote from Nadia Bowles-Weber. Let's, uh, let's do that again. She says there, and I think the, uh, the quote, um, I, I didn't give Jason an all the quote, but I'll just read it. Okay, see, God isn't about making you spiffy. God isn't about making you nicer. God is about making you new. And new doesn't always look perfect with a fabulous new dress, because like the Easter story itself, new can be messy. New still has dirt under its nails. And here it is. New looks like recovering alcoholics. New looks like reconciliation between two family members, neither of which actually deserve it. New looks like every time I manage to admit I was wrong and every time I manage to not mention when I'm right. New looks like every fresh start and every act of forgiveness and every moment of letting go of what we thought we couldn't live without and then somehow living without it anyway. New is the thing you never saw coming, never even hoped for, but ends up being what you needed all along. And it happens to all of us because God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and pulling us out of the graves we dig for ourselves through our violence, our lies, our selfishness, our arrogance, and our addictions. And God keeps loving us back to life over and over. So yes, even now, Even this year, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death into those in the tombs bestowing life. Definitely believe it with me. And if you can't, that's cool. I'll believe it for you. Why was the stone rolled away? Not so that Jesus could get out, but so that you could walk right in. Amen. You know, our community has been seeing resurrection through our own tears as well. And so we asked some folks in our community, where are you seeing resurrection in the midst of a global pandemic? Here's what they had to say. So right now I see resurrection in really the simplicity of life. This year the resurrection feels more personal and more ordinary. Where I see resurrection around me right now, all over in nature when I'm out on my walks. Through the ability of technology to make me feel connected to loved ones. I'm grateful to experience resurrection through fellowship with family, 
friends, the church, and with God. I'm experiencing a surprising resurrection of community in my life. I'm seeing resurrection through my community group. I'm seeing it through the ways that we're able to experience friendship in new ways. I'm learning a lot from my kids. My kids wake up every day expecting someone to care for them. And while it is challenging for them, I see that they just know that they're going to be cared for by us. Life right now is distilled into things that really matter. Um, shelter, food, we have our loved ones. I'm kind of realizing we just don't need that much to survive. Teaching my 92-year-old grandmother how to use an iPad for the first time so that she can see other family members' faces or um, having more meaningful conversations with some members of my CG than I've ever been able to have in person. I really feel like technology has sort of been um, the resurrection in this kind of bleak time for me. It's been the rain stopping for a few minutes so that we can go outside for a bike ride or going through Golden Gate Park and just staring at a beautiful 150-year-old cypress tree. Singing happy birthday to each other even when it's not that in tune uh, and finding that we can all share the same laugh about how not in tune we are. I think that's just what gives me joy, what makes me feel like we're in a resurrection moment during this time. I can't be with a lot of the people that I love right now physically, and yet I'm having all these conversations that are full of honesty and vulnerability and just deep connection. And that's really sustaining me right now because I know that those things are gonna last a lot longer than the crisis of the moment. One way I see resurrection showing up in my life right now is the fact that I'm still here. You see, I'm someone who lives with depression, but thanks to a really great therapist, some truly wonderful friends and family, and this nugget of faith that said God had something better planned for me, I was able to lift those clouds of depression that had dogged me for so long. These days, I find myself to be on the lookout for teachers who can help me remember what resurrection means. I found out that the best teachers of resurrection aren't removed from uh, others' pain and suffering, but they're actually right in the thick of it. I've been thinking a lot recently that the timing of this pandemic is interesting happening in the season of Lent. Lent is a season of preparation, a time for soul searching, and a time to let go of the things we hold on to. This time of great loss has given rise to new and deeper connections and created space to just be with God. Although we are broken and our world is broken, we can emerge from any darkness, just like the darkness of this moment, empowered by the embrace of God's promise. I too keep thinking about how I need to expect God to care for me, that I could come to him knowing that he's gonna care for me in this time. Today, I rest in the assurance that I need never be alone. We can continue to find new life and new ways to laugh with each other, new ways to find joy. And knowing that we're gonna get out of this moment at some point, seeing that we're gonna find community together. And it's gonna look different, but it's gonna be awesome. Life can spring out of hopelessness and death. The life that began with Jesus so many years ago didn't just happen, but actually still happens today. I need resurrection day in and day out. And this Easter, I'm so thankful that that resurrection is available to me and to you and to all of us. So where am I seeing resurrection in the midst of this moment? I'm seeing it in the opportunity to slow down, to stop running, to 
put aside our brokenness and just allow ourselves to be caught in the grace of God's love. Together, let's keep this conversation going as we look after one another in the coming days. Join us online for all we're offering. Make a Zoom appointment with a pastor if you need be. We'd love to meet with you. Share with your group what stories are coming up for you. And of course, you can always share in the chat right now. I'm sure glad we have Easter in this really difficult time because resurrection is the final word, not death. I love the way our community has been clinging tightly to one another to help each other believe and live this out. City Church has always been an Easter community, never more so than right now.